We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. So this is the third podcast in a series with World Strides Excel. So the first one was Jed Davis. Second one was Tom Byer. This is about people that have traveled, go away from their comfort zone, adapt, learn, change, grow, develop, and then just getting an insight as to how that changed them as a coach and how they view the game and how they view the coaching profession. So teaming up with World Strides Excel, we're also putting together a modern soccer coach trip in February 2019 to Barcelona. So we're going to visit some academies, watch some games, study some football culture there and meet some influential people. So a few coaches have already reached out about what the details will be and we'll have that coming up soon for sure. So World Strides, really excited to team up with them. They do coaches tours and also work with teams on customizing trips, setting up games, training sessions, sightseeing and all that good stuff. Uh, They also provide quality support include financial assistance, liability, coverage, flights, easy registration. And if you want to contact them directly, feel free to do so. Excel at worldstrides.com. So for this podcast, we have Carmelina Moscato. So Carmelina is a former player at Penn State. She played professionally as well in the US, Italy, Sweden. She made 94 appearances for Canada, including the World Cup and an Olympic bronze medalist in 2012. So moving on to the coaching side, she has coached with the Canadian youth national teams and is now based in Australia, working with Stingrays United as a director of coaching in Australia there. So Carmelina was one of our mentors at the start of the year. So I spoke to her then and was really excited about following up with her. So on this podcast, we talk about John Herdman, the impact he had on her as a coach, as a player, and the Canadian women's soccer culture. We talk about coach education. She's just taken her A license in Belfast over the summer alongside some pretty big names. Really wanted to see what she thought of that. And then just about being honest with players, the tough conversations, how do you build trust? How do you be true to yourself? So absolutely brilliant conversation. You're gonna enjoy this, coaches. It went way too fast when I was recording. I thought it was 20 minutes in. It was over. Um, as always, excited to hear your thoughts. Let me know what you think. Anything that stood out for you, uh, give us a shout out on Twitter, at Gary Kernin. Instagram, at Gary Kernin. Always excited to hear what coaches think of it. So Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for all your support. Here's Carmelina. Enjoy. Carmelina, thanks so much for joining me today for the modern soccer coach podcast delighted to have you here thanks gary big fan i'm excited to speak with you first question for you you're at the early stages of your your coaching journey i suppose in relative terms how would you clarify your um your coaching philosophy at this moment that's a great question i think um 
for me at this point, I've been in, in the job two years. I've been in this profession, in this career uh, for two years. And I feel like my philosophy, if you were to have asked me six months ago when we created that podcast, it already has changed. Um, I think first and foremost, what I've realized is, you know, there's kind of a sweet spot for coaches. You know, you need to have um, an exceptional amount of knowledge about the game, that credibility. You can't really hide from the players if you don't really have that depth of knowledge. So for me, um, that's not the first thing I'd say, but that's one of the things that really allow you to excel. The second thing is to be able to connect in the art of connecting with people. Um, I think this is about transforming people. Soccer is a vehicle for that. And uh, for me, what I've realized in my Australian experience is making people feel like a million bucks is, is going to get you everywhere, you know, backed up with a bit of knowledge. And then on top of that, there's nothing that's going to replace grafting, putting in shifts, hard work, things that people don't expect you to do, you do it um, time and time again. Um, so it's a bit of hard work, a bit of knowledge, a bit of connection. <clears throat> and on top of that, I think you have to be able to deliver a great grass session. You know, you can be fantastic in the classroom and be an analyst in a way, you know, but how do you create that picture for the players on the field? And I think um, that's what I'm here to do in Australia. I'm here as a young coach, coaching three to five team sessions a week, managing games every weekend. And there's nothing that's going to replace that. You know, I hope to do this for the next 20 years to be, you know, an expert at this one day. And, and I, every day I kind of learn from my on grass experience that I see it in the game that they pick that up. I didn't paint a clear enough picture. What kind of learner is she? All these crazy questions, but you know, that's the art of it all. The, the more I do these podcasts, the more I see that the, probably the biggest pattern and trend I see is that the successful coaches, successful people are so intentional about what they do. And already, you've, you know, that was a pretty clear knowledge, the connection, the work ethic, the on-field sessions. You've, you've thought about these here. You go into training every day with these in your mind. How do you make a player feel like a million bucks? I think for me, it's understanding, again, I think what kind of learner they are, learning a bit about their story and their history. So um, just as an, as, uh, an example is in this environment, I've inherited two teams, teams that I actually didn't choose the players. So I've, I've showed up in Australia a little late in the hiring process, and I've inherited a great program here with the Stingrays. And, you know, they come with a really – a lot of them come with baggage, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, what was their experience like last year in the last 10 years here at this club? Um, when I say this one thing to them, how do they interpret it? What have they heard? So I think when you say, how do you make a player feel like a million bucks? It's about checking for understanding. Did they under did they kind of get what I was trying to get at? Um, so I always ask, what did you hear? Um, if I see in their playing performance that something we've talked about, maybe individual meetings we've we looked at visually and they're still not applying it, I know they're not reading the right cue. So I help them with that. So it's just really getting specific about What's failing them on the day? You know, when you think about game day as the performance measure, you know, what, how, what kind of decisions are they making on the field? Are they motivated? Are they making good decisions? And have I struck the right chord with them? And if I haven't, sometimes I just say, what are we missing here? <laughs> you know, you just kind of get vulnerable about it and say, listen, I'm, I'm not making you better. And uh, how can we do that? What do you need from me? Very interesting. I think there's a misconception with making players feel good about themselves. I think as coaching community, we think that it's where we kind of shy away from it because we think that it's empowering them with false praise. And we're like, oh, you're a great player. You're brilliant. You're a star. But in reality there, what you're saying 
it's the knowledge of or no, sorry it's taking the time to get to know them at a deeper level and then also it's having hard conversations like you said with them when it's not working that's being upfront and honest um mm-hmm. is did you get that did you learn that or is that something that is coming from this is what i got as a player this is what i want to be how much of your philosophy is shaped from the frustrated or the 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 experienced pro and how much of it is shaped from the research and development that you've done since being a coach I would say there was one specific moment in my playing career that I could, you know, when you asked that question, I thought of it right away. It was um, speaking with, with head coach John Herdman uh, right after an Olympic Games. New crop of players come in. Kadisha Buchanan is now a youngin um, playing center back with, with myself, and she's starting to get, you know, game minutes over me. And uh, sit down with him, you know, that veteran, stubborn, old (laughs) ego still trying to fight on and hold on a little bit. I'm asking him what's going on here. And he just looked me in the eye and said, she's better than you, Carm. And it was like amazing. He's like, if you you want to be on this team, if you want to have a real impact on this team, your role is going to continue to evolve. And you have to become the best mentor you've ever been in your life. And you got to make her the best center back she's ever going to be. And that's your new job. You appreciated that? At the moment, I wanted to punch him in the face, but I think <laughs> it was absolutely the most powerful thing. You know, I still remember it. To the, I'll never forget it. It's that level of honesty that makes you, you're, you're, it's a visceral, it's visceral. It's like, wow, did you just say that to me? But at the end of the day, it was exactly what needed to be said. It was exactly what I needed to hear to progress my career and to actually, in fact, become a good teacher. And I, he was helping me for my next steps. And um, it wasn't about me. <laughs> you know, players were kind of, egocentric right you say that's a characteristic of a very young age group are you kidding me <laughs> i think players evolve and mature but at the end of the day you know you people want to you know play for themselves too right that you can't deny that that's human um so then when you talk about what i learned here um yeah i think it was a little bit of of both understanding what the players need everybody needed something different and one player she said to me actually in my current environment took her off one game and she said, Carm, all you ever do is tell me how good I'm doing. I have no idea why you've taken me off. And then I realized her self-awareness was quite low because the game I took her off, she stopped defending for the group. And so I had to put a montage together of her walking, like walking. And I said, this is what I saw from the sideline. I saw you walking. Did you not realize you were doing that? Having those converse, having those tough conversations, like you you mentioned there about that was the that was such an powerful a powerful moment in your career as a player. Um, just and we'll talk about John in a, in a little bit, but with that moment there, did could he have said that without having a relationship with you, or was it the relationship that uh, that he had built that allowed him to be honest and upfront? It, it was absolutely that. I mean, I knew that. You know, we had built that trust that everything that came out of his mouth was for the best interest of the country, you know, and what the team needed. Like, it had nothing to do. There was no – nobody was bigger than it, not him, not anyone else. So when those kinds of things are said with that vision being so clear of what the culture was about, what the team was about, we're like, you know, this speck of dust in this huge story of Canada soccer. And so to, for him to say that was me bringing me back to reality when, when I wasn't. Um, I wasn't on my feet, you know, I wasn't grounded at that minute. So I, um, I think it was pre- the previous 10 months we had spent together before that Olympic bronze was, was pivotal. I mean, we trusted that everything to do was for the betterment of, of yeah, we earned that trust with each other and, and I think everyone else. So he did a very good job at addressing personal relationships when he first got in. 
yeah, ho- hopefully there's still some coaches listen that they haven't switched off after they heard that it was okay to say someone that they're not good enough anymore and they've cleared off the tail half their team that it, it's like you have to build the relationship before you need the relationship there has to be equity in there right um, absolutely and sometimes we forget that as I've, I've made that mistake so many times where i've I've identified where I need to be. I would, I've probably, I, as I get older, I got better being honest with players. But where I let myself down was I didn't put enough in and invest in their trust and building that trust and, and thinking that we could do it from a collective that was good enough. Um, but it needs to be done collectively and individually. Yeah. I've, what you just said there made me think about our pre conversation before the podcast and kind of how, you know, like you do need to build that, um, what's the right word, the, the rapport and that investment in somebody. But how do you do that? You know, not everybody's the right person. So, for example, say, for example, you, you invested hours and hours into somebody. But at the end of the day, they weren't they were resistant to change or they just weren't going to adapt to your culture. Sometimes you got to let those people go, too. If I, if I had stuck with my mentality and said, nah, it's about me, I'm going to beat Kadisha Buchanan out, I would have been cut. Like I would have, I would have had no business in that program because I wouldn't have been able to kind of you know, understand the big picture, and that I wasn't the right person for the for the job. So not everyone's gonna be the right person for the job. You can invest a million hours into somebody; they're just not, it's not right. Get the right people on the bus and move forward. Our saying on that subject, we always think about transforming a good attitude, or sorry, a bad attitude to a good attitude. You know, she such and such hasn't got a great attitude. We'll make them a team player and blah blah, but. Attitudes can change as well from being like from someone who is a big part in the squad, especially in international soccer. Then sometimes there's a changing of the guard. Um, having a coach that has a that is timing to make those decisions, then that's an art as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. It's about how it's the timing, the delivery. You know, and sometimes you think about it, the changing of the guard is what that player needs. Maybe they're not responding to you as a coach or whatever the case. And that's and that's okay. But I think as a coach, when you're the one standing in that that helm, you're the head coach, you have to build the ones around you that understand you and that you understand them. So it's it's I think it's inevitable to say that not every coach is gonna connect with every person. The next coach comes along may even but that's that's the, that's the reality of it. That's the whole point of you know coaches tenure, right? Not everybody is for everybody. And the piece, not their piece of cake, you know. hundred percent, hundred percent. When you you know you look at your your bio and your background, you've you've such a the U.S. has has played a big part in it. Obviously, with the, the college playing background, the pro experience, the college coaching experience as an assistant. How much of you is you know, with with so many different cultures playing a role in your in your your uh, ID, your coach ID. How much of America has? What have you got from America? <laughs> well, I spent a lot of my adult life there. Um, I think I've grown to love aspects of American culture, and I've grown to you know not to dislike, I guess, some aspects of American culture. I think um, the value in it for me is the fact that they're honestly the biggest competitors I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, if you talk about a group of people that hate losing, I've never seen it like that anywhere else that I've ever been. And um, that's really hard to breed. And, you know, whether that's the first ingredient, the last ingredient of a successful team, I don't know. But um, that it, being at Penn State with uh, Paula Wilkins at the time and a star-studded group, 
Amy Weimer, Ali Krieger, Alyssa Nair. I played with all those girls at Penn State. That started then. You know, that started in that NCAA. Uh, we would have practice where we just kind of beat each other up for 90 minutes in the mud. I don't know, just grit, resilience, weird stuff. Probably no tactical transference, but um, I remember that. I remember competing. I remember being on a line with some of the hardest fitness tests I've ever done to date. Even national team, even I haven't had anything as hard as sometimes the things we did at Penn State. So, um, yeah, there's something about the way that that's built to build people and players. And I think you see a lot of that in the NWSL. Um, I'd like to see sometimes a little bit more, I don't know, organization. So let's just say that maybe the NWSL for me sometimes has lived in transition some games. I'd love to see a little bit more organization that you would see at the international level. You know, a lot of the kind of sessions or or prep is around how to break down organized defenses. And I don't know if you see that as much uh, in the NWSL. And I could be wrong. I could be totally speaking out of turn. I guess you would know way more than me. Um, but I think the game is now, of, of course, won and lost in transition. We get that. But a team that's able to organize themselves in a, in a thoughtful, methodical, consistent way with really clear roles. Uh, for me, there's something about the beauty of the game. I think that's, that's beautiful. A group of people moving together. Then going, st staying on the, on the topic of culture and then going back to John Herdman and obviously the role that, that he played in Canadian soccer um, with you in the national team squad. Was that, a, was that the moment that Canada's uh, women's soccer culture was formed or was that a moment when it was diverted or recreated? No, nah, it was definitely, it was captured by John, um, formed, remolded. Um, but what he did was I think the, the beauty and the intelligence and the genius of what he did was he took a group that had been through absolute hell. <laughs> I mean, you talk about eight years with a Norwegian leader and a very like physically dominating, you know, bit physically, demanding coach girls breaking their feet because they're running too hard. And I, I mean, the stories you could tell from Evan Pellerud's era was insane. And you get Carolina Morace coming in and giving us a bit of basically stripped that away and said, we're going to play football and told, you know, sold us the idea of possession. We didn't quite know how really, but we understood that. Okay. We can play football as well. So you got this grit matched with this concept of possession. And then John comes in and just marries the two. Knows we're a hell, hell of a fighters. We're going to fight for every single ball and all that good stuff. And then gave us the how on how to play football. Like the detail that, that, that John was able to go into is still this day unfathomable. And um, that's what he did. He added a layer to a very long road of veterans. And then I think his work can be probably really um, – appreciated with the new generation, the Ashley Lawrences, the Kadisha Buchanans, the Adriana Leones, those guys who have elevated their game, but he's really their first contact with international football. If you look at the vets, we had a long story behind us, but his work can really be seen in those movies. Jesse Fleming, my God, like massive impact in one of the best midfielders I've seen. Talk about the old group, we can, but I think the new group is really a reflection of John's work. I've I've seen it firsthand, not firsthand, but I've been I've got a good friend who's involved in the setup, and I've I've floated about uh, behind the scenes and observed something. And it is, you're right, that attention to detail was the biggest thing that stood out for me. 
very curious from a player perspective when does it become an education engrossed in the detail and, and stop becoming because we're so in, ingrained in habits as players and coaches aren't we that obviously i like i'm 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 guessing he probably added an extra four hours of meetings per day to your schedules and i suppose how did he convince everyone that this was yet this was a necessity rather than uh, just something that we've got to do. That I think he he started with making us really curious about our footage, like getting in the we called it the grow room, the video room. He'd had eight MacBooks filled with our training footage, and we would have, um, you know, they were very good with that. They weren't, they didn't just say go sit in a room and watch yourself train. It was very guided, like, you know, how could you have, um, you know, if your goal is to complete ninety percent of your passes as a center back, how could you, um, how could you have improved that in this session? How many did you give away and why? Like very, you know, and I would just watch that and move on to the next learning the next day. So he made it almost, they made it fun to learn. They made it very specific. So I would take one thing from a session, uh, based on the session's theme. And then when it came to game time, the feedback that they were able to provide, that statistical feedback at the beginning was kind of like it made you curious. Oh, you know, I had a very clear target statistically and otherwise, tactically. But I would look at that and be like, oh, I was below the mark. What do I need to do to get better? You know, and you just became hungry. You didn't want to be the center back that was 75% pass completion. In fact, you wouldn't play. So what do I need to do to attain that next 15%? Um, how can I adjust my passing? I'm a right footer on the left side. What does that mean? My angles are off. <laughs> Stuff like that. So I think they just honestly made it fun. They had it group oriented. So you would go in with your unit and you could interact with others. Um, they, they created us, we're very hungry and very curious, um, and they created a classroom about football. And then on top of that, he coupled it and he married it with really clear on-field pictures. So that combination was, was perfect. It, was, it wasn't like the session lacked intention so that you were just out there. It was like, I applied what I learned in that video the next day. So you could always see the connection between training and performance? Massive. Yes, definitely. And he had very, you know, his, his tactical periodization was very, very clear. You know, this next two-week block, working on the, he would call it like, you know, whatever system it was, the 451, the 442, blah, 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 whatever it was. And then we would hone in on that for two-week blocks. We became specialists at that. We'd do something else for two weeks and then revisit it in four weeks because then it would be that recall, like what stuck and what didn't. And that's what he would do. He would always kind of cycle through and check for understanding and learning what's stuck. I find the, the changing of culture is to me more interesting than a building a culture because changing it, so many different dynamics. So older players play a big role in this, right? So like sometimes you have lucky as a coach and we think that it's the hitting off someone's knee in the last second to win a game, but sometimes lucky as a coach can be, you just come into a situation where you've inherited an older group of players who say, yes, this is the way we need to go. Um, mm. Am I am I guessing that that was the case then with with you as one of those players? Yeah, I think so. I think um, you know at that point when he really captured us was probably I've talked about this meeting a few times, but the very first time we met him, um, he came in after we had be dead last in a World Cup, sixteen out of sixteen teams. Got you know pretty embarrassed by France four nil in a first round match, lost to Nigeria you know, narrowly lost to uh, Germany and all these things. And we were just pretty, pretty broken group. He came in and all he said was, you know, why do you play for Canada? 
what's this all about? Why are you here? And then just got back to kind of identity. Uh, we were on a tour playing the U.S. and their celebration tour. So we were dead last seeing the U.S. in front of us on their celebration tour celebrate. And we were in Portland and Kansas City, wherever we were. And we ended up tying the U.S. <laughs> in the first game. We had no business doing that. And we did because we were fighting for Canada again. And we just got our spirit up, you know, and yeah i believe that was pretty much it he connected with us as a group that knew we had this deep root like love for canada that was just a broken heart and then kind of rebuilt it and saying are you gonna fight for that again what does it mean to play for canada what who are you what are you about and then from there it grew and then he added the layers very strategically and methodically but really it started with spirit which was interesting for an older group that's what we needed <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then, again, as coaches, we're almost, when I, when I think about who I am as a coach, I'm almost a, a mesh of different coaches I've played for. So, And then I find when I go in and it's a situation in my head that I have the problem, I have to deal with or challenge, I have to deal with, you recall times that you've had these conversations with people that you've worked for. How much of, is John still a big, big part of your coaching life in terms of maybe not speaking to him every day, but maybe it's like, well, what has John taught you in these moments and these challenges that you're having with your current trip? It's funny. It's almost like John's in the room, but he's not. Like, I haven't actually had a conversation with him in a long time. He's, he's moved on to the men's side and, and massively busy and doing some really wonderful things there. So the relationship with John, in fact, hasn't lived on from a conversation or weekly connect or monthly connect or anything like that. In fact, it's been quite a while since I've spoken to John. But really what it's about for me is like, it's, it's now the best part about that is what's, what's my voice? What's my gut? And that was all it was ever going to be. It started with a great foundation. I've, I've watched him do. I've played for him. I've watched him coach. I've been part of now the, the Canadian system for a year and a half there. I got to coach at some wonderful events with John's influence, you know, like, world, you know, under 17 World Cups, under 20 qualification tournaments. And then now it's almost like you're let in the stream of this coaching world by yourself. You're looking around and it's sometimes pretty lonely and you're just like, yeah, what would, what would, what did I learn? But what the hell would Carm do? And now it is about me. Cause that authenticity, again, when I said that players can see right through you, is that when I'm saying something, is that what I believe truly? Like, is that me? Cause if, if it's not, you lose them, you lose them right away. They're gone. And uh, so I've had to find my own voice. Um, but with a very, very, grateful start i have i've had a great foundation so but now it is about me who i am i would imagine taking an enormous amount of reflection then on, on every experience the daily experiences you're having how does that you know do you sit back at the end of every day and just kind of go through it or do you write stuff down or how, how do you i suppose gather your thoughts to, to make sure you're you're being true to yourself every time yeah i think that's it is it's a daily reflection i go home after every session and I think after a weekend of games and you know I even I even observe my bench how people are their body language and you know I'll have individual connects throughout the week that are quite random uh, from the outside probably look quite random but are very very intentional like what is I'll probably meet with two to three players a week throughout a 22 week season um, after some at the beginning I had like initial meetings like with everyone entry meetings and then throughout the season it's more of like why was her game a little off? Why was she, why was she slumped on the sideline? Um, she didn't celebrate when when the team scored. What's going on there? So I'm just that's 
what kind of guides my week. So that reflection is constantly happening. It's almost like a bit of an obsession in a w- weird way. And I think it has to be, you have to just be, you can shut off maybe, yeah, one night here, one night there, but to really do well at this job, you have to be a little bit obsessed and a little bit crazy. And I know that sounds silly, but I just, that's what I believe. So I'm always observing and trying to tackle the next thing that's going to bring us to another level. I, the one thing I've, I've kind of learned was that whenever, you know, I, I've coached that, I've coached at every level in the U.S. It's almost that when you're working with the, the high school or the club player, if it's an, if it's a performance issue, it's probably because they don't want to do something. But when yeah. there's when you're dealing with the top end, it's because there's there's something there's a way behind everything, and it's not just basically a bad attitude or lazy. So you have to find that way. Um, yeah, it's very challenging. It is very challenging because it's like, you know, do you invest in this player this week or do you have one million other things to do? And like, what's those, I think that's your spot on about what, what's impactful is that player that you just referenced, the one that is maybe not having a good time or whatever. Are they, are they worth an hour of your week or should you put that into your team planning? So how, how you organize yourself. But I think sometimes you just got to hit things head on, have really hard conversations. Like we said earlier, um, but but put attention to what needs attention. What's urgent? What's not urgent? What can be de- what can be delegated? I don't know. Whatever you know, if you have a staff, and yeah, tough. It's, it, yeah, that is the tough part. I'd say all the cultures that you've that you've again played in, uh, at least Sweden, Canada, missing one, U.S. Um, you know where it was like, I kind of wish that I had have went away and and coached or been taking more trips and went to different countries and all this all these things because i think i would have been a, a better blend of a coach but different but more different i mean what what culture had the biggest impact on you i think without you know getting into the detail i think the cultures there's a, there was a pretty big theme with all the cultures that shaped me and it's often the things you don't like that shape you better than the ones you do like right and like mm, i like that that's great you'll take a bit of that but the ones that really rattle you, really to your core, you're like, I don't agree with that. That change, that that's changed for me. Move forward. Yeah, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to ensure that never happens again for the future players that I coach. But I think the, the the environments that let me down the most as a player were the ones that were highly very dominated by. It could be male or female. It's not really about that for me. But where you didn't feel free as a person to like express yourself. You know, when you say that, it's within the culture that you're in. So you can express yourself within boundaries. It's like free flowing and just do whatever the hell they want. That's not what I'm referring to, but that you actually had license to be you. Um, and I feel like the ones that took that away from me, that I had to maybe, you know, disciplinarian, militant type coaching, uh, you're trying to please others and you lose yourself a bit. So I guess. In simple terms, it was the ones that allowed me to, to, to try things and make mistakes without fear were the ones that, in which I knew I grew uh, in some way, shape, or form. The ones that allowed us to connect on and off the field, that's another big thing for culture, where you don't just show up to a field and play with people. You're actually going out to dinner. You don't have to like everyone, but you definitely get to know people off the field, and that really helps understand what the heck is and all that. So, so a bit of the coach's energy, and a bit of the off-field culture were the ones that I think were most successful. For the being yourself aspect, I think we've got a. I think we're in a real danger area here in in the U.S. because the more that culture is 
is the you thing where you got to get your culture right. Well, call everything's culture. You win and lose on culture. Well, th that can also be misunderstood as everyone has to be the same, and that can also be misreferenced as well. We've got a great culture here because nobody gets in trouble. Well, it's not growth. Like you should be challenged, and people should be allowed to say things, and it should be even it should be harder to coach, right? Uh, mm. Cultures where people are have a voice and have permission to be themselves. And I think you just made me think of one thing I probably missed with my culture bit was that the the players are actually involved. They actually create the culture. So that's it. So that they have to like basically it's up to them if they want to, you know, it's, it's not a coach who's dictating. And that's part of my, one of my things I was trying to say was, are the players actually part of creating what they want to see on and off the field? And do they have a voice that's listened to? Um, and if, if that's not there and I feel, feel like when I'm with part of, I was actually part of a program where I was a coach and at the beginning of preseason, there was like these was like commandments almost, I will not do this and X, Y, and Z. And there were, and it was like, the players are sitting there being like, oh, wow, okay. So there's a right, a right away, there's a fear factor. You know, these rules that they're just dying to break because <laughs> rules yeah. are, you know, um, as opposed to, you know, let's talk to the senior group. What have you guys been through in your four years here at X University? What are some things you're going to stand on guard for? What are some things you're going to definitely not allow to happen in this environment? Freshmen, how about you guys? What are you coming in expecting of this environment? Totally different. And now we're just having the conversation about what the heck we all expect. You know, and as a coach, you guide it. Be like, mm, don't love that. That doesn't agree with me now. And you can shape it, right? But the players have to come up with it. They're the ones going to enforce it, really. They should be. Anyway. They should be. But love this. Great. This is a great topic because, yes, but if the coach doesn't ask the right quest, Bingo. You've got no chance, right? Because if that coach is asking, well, hey, we all want to win a championship, right? He's going to have six to 26 players doing like this, nodding their heads. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just asked three questions there that I was going like, great question to ask for. If I'm a college coach, I'm writing that down to ask for freshmen. It's like, why, why do we not ask those questions as coaches now? I think sometimes it's like super vulnerable to give up that bit of control probably to say, you know what, I'm going to leave it to a group of kids in their mind maybe to say, oh, they're coming up with something that's my livelihood. I'll get fired if they don't play well. And then the coach is living in fear. So how could the leader be in fear and then enable everyone else to be free? It's impossible. So you have to feel as if, you know what, I believe in myself. My process is my process. And if we get to a championship, fantastic. But the process is what you know, I've learned as a coach is, is really all that matters, right? Like the appreciation of something happening on and off the field that, you know, you've influenced in a positive way. That's coaching for me. Like it'll lead this to cool things and wins and goals and all that stuff. But if I'm totally devastated, if I'm just thinking about when I'm going to get fired, because that's the, that's, I would never have a conversation like that. I bet you, <laughs> yeah, but you have to be bigger than it, you know? Yeah. I mean, we talk about it from our players, right? We talk about that they've got to be, you know, they can't, you can't fear of performing and fear of all this, but sometimes fear in coaching plays a bigger role than we would probably admit. Definitely. Massive. You know, the fear of not even losing jobs, the fear of how you look. Uh, how, if your team performs poorly, you know, they're really, the coach is thinking, that's me, that's a fraction of me, and da 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 da. Like, if it's not about. It's about the 32 people in your program, if you're lucky. You know what I mean? It's about that. It's about them, how they feel, how they, 
you know, when we, when you won, it's about how you won, you know? And, and I think even here, I'll tell just a quick story, but um, I made a decision the other, the other week to play up, to play a player um, who had attendance issues, but she's a fantastic player. And I have another player sitting on the bench that's, you know, arguably just as good and all the rest of it. And I went with my gut and I put that other player on and I got called out on a Monday. What are you doing? I'm there. I'm working my butt off. Why would you value that? You've gone against your own policy. And I'm thinking, unbelievable. In the game, I wasn't thinking about my policy. I wasn't thinking about culture. I was thinking about winning the match. And I went against myself in a way. And I had a deep reflection that morning. And I was so, first of all, honored. And, and I loved how that player called me out. I thought that was, you talk about success. I've, I've allowed that woman to speak her mind to me. I'm a human just like her. I made, arguably made a mistake in a way. And, and, and I've adapted to that. And I've had a one-on-one and we've, we've worked through it. And I you know, admitted my faults. And I said, listen, I get what you mean. I get how that was perceived. Um, I wouldn't have changed my decision in the moment. I did the best I could at that point. But now you've influenced my future decisions. And I appreciate that. Brilliant. Oh, there's, I mean, there's so much in that. There's the level of awareness. Then there's having, like you said, the empowering the player to say it. Then you having that. to be, yeah. And then you're having to be shifted, park the ego before the meeting and say, okay, then, yeah, there was something in that for me as well. Um, yeah. I didn't realize how that you took that. You know, that was like, wow. I apologize for that. I get that. So, again, coaches listening will be like, uh, you know, they're like, wow, that's, that's great. That's, that's fantastic. That's a great moment. But like, there's a big percentage of coaches who miss that moment because of the awareness piece or because of the ego. How do you get that? Can you get that? I think it maybe I don't know how to put this, but I've been humbled a few times. I know it's it's just not about me. It's just you know you, um, you take care of you. You try to stand true to your word. I think I believe in that. I believe in you know integrity and respect and all that stuff that we all those virtues that we all strive to have. And when something feels like as if I haven't done that, it just transport you just like, nah, I have to change it. I can't be that person. I don't, it's, no win is worth my players not respecting me. And I, maybe I won't get it wrong on the field and maybe we lose a championship at the end of the day, but they can walk away saying I respect her because she stuck to her word. And that, I think I always want to be that. And I always think to myself at the high, say for example, I'm coaching in a world cup or an Olympic games and it is about, bringing home a medal or bringing home a championship or a trophy. I want to be this person the whole my whole career. And I don't know if I'll always be, I, that's the vulnerability. I hope I will. I hope I'll stick to this, but I get the opportunity to practice that now. Funny to just thinking, I, I read an article the other day about a, a Harvard business professor that was, he wrote an article on how he teaches. And he's saying that he basically has three principles that he starts the year with his class. And number one is, you know, find out what, what you want to do in business and number two is is uh, find out how you're going to align that with your your family and your lifestyle and number three is how you're going to stay out of jail and he always thinks that the class always laughs to be like, like yeah yeah and he's like yeah that sounds like yeah i've got a group of harvard business students here you know they they just, just he's like you don't know the numbers i have that have been to jail because they sacrifice their principles in the marketplace for a quick, you know, just, and I'm like thinking, that's so true. You went against your own. Yeah. And that's like yeah. figurative moral jail. <laughs> yeah. That's like, <not> worse. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. That's a good, I like that. I'm going to use that. That's funny. Brilliant. Um, 
your experience at a, having a fellow a, a alumni of the Irish Football Association talk about your experience this summer on the A license there. Nigel Best was fantastic. Uh, he's honestly a great, uh, really great at what he does, coaching educator and, and director of, of education there. He, he brought so much life to the course. Talk about that energy that keeps people going. Long day, 12-hour days for two weeks. I mean, anytime he came into the room, he lit it up. So um, I think for me, that's something that wasn't taught but was just observed. I really appreciated his energy and his humor, uh, his candidness, his inappropriateness at times which was hilarious it just was perfect for the moment in the group like honestly know your audience um but then on top of all that you know just to watch to be in an environment where you're watching other coaches do what they do you didn't agree with every little thing that was delivered and it wasn't about that it was just more about watching coaches and their craft taking a few things every single session and then having a go for me personally was one of the only that was the only female in a b license out of 32 people with professional men's players and I got to coach them. I was thinking to myself, you know, who am I amongst men that I've never coached that are very, you know, the knowledge in the room was insane. You had Manchester City, you had Atletico Madrid, you had Portuguese internationals, Real Madrid, you know, champions, like all this stuff. And it's like you're in a room and, and you earn the respect of the people around you by who you are. It was a practice for me, you know, they, they, I was, I had to assert myself maybe a little differently than I would with women. Uh, and I did that and I learned a little bit about myself and I learned a little bit more about how to coach and um, the richness around the dinner table, speaking about um, CB life and how to defend and just, just tapping into the wisdom of the crowd was probably, I'll never forget it. You know, Lescott talking about CBs and how he did it and where are you going to get that experience, you know? Yeah. Um, Tiago Mendez, you know, just talking about all his, Oh, when I was at uh, Juventus and I was over here and then Leon and all, and you're just thinking, what? <laughs> where am I right now? Um, and the people, they were just normal people. I would have never in a million years knew that there were Champions League winners sitting at my dinner table. That's the best part. They were so humble. So humble. It's got to be difficult uh, to be, uh, and we never think of this as like, I, I've done it myself. I mean, I've taken quotes, one female course, when I was in Belfast, there was one female on the course, and there was two when I did my course with the NSCAA. So that that is difficult, isn't it? We we don't appreciate that at the time how hard that is. It's so funny. It is and it isn't. I think from the outside, but my personality is quite bold. I don't know if you've picked that up. But I just kind yeah. of like just go for it. You know, it was like myself from the beginning, and and um, I'm not, you know, I'm not really like I'm I'm kind, but I'm not really a pushover either. So it's kind of like. I was trying to find my way in, you know, like what, but, but by being myself, really. Um, and I, I knew that my respect was going to be earned no matter what we talked about, no matter what I said, my respect was going to be earned. Those little thrills that you get, right? Those little mock sessions. I just went in and did it to the best of my ability. And they were like, whoa, she, and I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I just tried my best, you know? Um, so I, I knew that and I, I channeled a bit of assertive energy, which I don't usually do. Um, so I adapted to the environment a little bit and I think you had to do that. You, you mentioned there about that kind of peer learning, the, 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 the power of having people on the course. I, I, the same for me, like when I was doing it in Belfast, 
Uh, Chris Coleman was on my course, just uh, and he was at the stages of his career was in the Premier League and just the stories. Unbelievable! Wow. Whenever you're, you know, I spoke, I did an interview with Jed Davis there a few weeks ago, and and he was talking about almost that, you know, coaches you kind of we're not challenged enough in courses. Not meaning that we're not challenged, as in we're not challenged to do stuff. No, there's a lot of people in the course, and sometimes you don't get that hard conversation. We don't challenge, you know, you you don't stand up and challenge things as a coach. So when I saw your group and I saw some of those personalities, you're saying Tiago Mendes, Carvalho, Carvalho, like Richard surely those guys were. Was there a lot of like when a when a presentation was made by someone in the educational role? Were those guys stepping up and saying, "Hey, was there any you know I disagree with this"? Well, hey, um, I'm not having that. There was every session. There was something <laughs> they would disagree with, or or say that's spot on, or that wouldn't work with my group. And then you get that depth of that reflection was happening immediately because it's like you know what those coaches have the B license when we started at the B. We're all kind of, you know, feeling novice again. So everybody has had all this depth of knowledge, but, you know, how to apply that is completely what we're all there to learn. And 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 they were all – that's what the course was so unique because you had the knowledge, but you had people that didn't know how to communicate it on the field. But you could see it and say, like, what that guy said, I, I don't agree with that. That'll never work in the, at the pro level. Uh, maybe with kids. And then you start to get, oh, wow, okay, why not? And um, what would you change? And you're getting that feedback from Lescott and, and those guys, and it's in done, Richard Dunn. And you're like, thank you for that. Now I know what it's going to take or what the next level player would hear if that coach said that. So it was just a lot of those moments basically daily. And, and I was like, wow, <laughs> this, co- this course couldn't be better. Got to ask, I mean, with, with, Tiago Mendes and Carvalho, how much has Mourinho shaped their in a philosophy? They they were, you know, we did ask them that actually at one of the dinner tables. And I think what they respected most about him, and they said it was more about how he handled the players. His philosophies are continually evolving. We know he has a complete, you know, identity that he's brought to each group he's ever worked with in every club, but they said that he is an amazing, he connects with people so incredibly well. And he makes sure he does that on day one. And that's what they respected most about him. I was like, wow, really? <laughs> of all things, like, you know, and it, it, it breathes true for all the things we're saying. And that's just what it is. On the, just going back to the course then, there was a, I mean, how much of, how much of it was psychology? I would have to say, honestly, not in the delivery of the curriculum of the course, but in the conversations with the candidates, yes. Psychology was like one module one night in terms of curriculum. But I would say everything we spoke about was mostly that. Coaching and education in general needs to get more into the psychology, would you agree? I don't I do, but I also think that before psycho before like psychology is maybe understanding others, I think there has to be more work done on the individual because I think they only hear what their filters can hear. Like, I think the individuals need to do more work about how emotionally intelligent they are, how they read nonverbals. When you talk about psychology, it's almost like, you know, if, if something's being presented to me and I'll only hear what I understand, like what I know, I'll reference it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting based on my experiences. But I think it takes a lot of work. The individual needs to do a bit of excavation first, understand what their filters are, like 
how they interact with others, um, why that triggers them when somebody says that. Like, I know one of my triggers is like, uh, for whatever reason, must be something to do with me, but like my insecurity about competence. When somebody seems incompetent, I get triggered. Could be as simple as like a manager not making sure the jerseys are washed, and I look. I'm just to have a trigger about that, but I'm aware of that. I know it's not personal to that human, that other human. It's my problem, so I don't react when that happens. I have to just. I'm like, okay, not a big deal. <laughs> we'll move on, you know. And every coach has something that you know when the, some players say, "Oh, that coach was angry." The way that they spoke to me was. You know, there was like, but there's a trigger. There's something that made that coach do that. If you don't understand it about yourself, good luck understanding others. You know, so I think as much as psychology needs to be in courses, it needs to be more group work, understanding yourself. That's what I'd like to see. What advice? So, you know, and, and being, you said, two years into yours, I mean, where would you say a young coach who's looking at, say, let's get a bit more specific say a college coach, say a grad assistant who's mm. taking their first role um, and is like making, you know, $400 a month and doesn't have enough year. money to play her a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what, what, what would you say um, it, they should be doing? I think it's important to start with the end in mind to know, like for me, I know I want to coach women. I know I want to coach women in a uh, international tournament at one stage, uh, you know, club championships at one stage i want to coach men at some stage um so i have this like kind of long it's like a list right which is not like lists are not very exciting there is just like a bucket list in a way a coaching bucket list but when i look at all that i try to find relevant experiences you know i think there's nothing more like you said with the whole john thing you still go back to what you learned from him it's like there's nothing that's going to teach me more than living it i had to go somewhere whether it was australia whether it was in my backyard in canada whether it was down in the States, I had to go and coach a relevant age group. So right now I'm coaching women's team. I'm dealing with, I think, age and stage, the proper age and stage from my end in mind. Um, it's definitely not about the money here. So you got to get that right out of your head that this is, you know, I, I always say that I, you put in the, you put it in now, it'll come back at some point later in whatever way, shape or form. So it's not about money. And I think if you chase money, I've, I've done that once and it backfired massively massively backward because it wasn't the real yeah my I um I guess my goal wasn't at the center of my decision it was just kind of because you know with coaching you don't make much so anytime anything's thrown at you you're like yeah for sure but why and then I lost my why so I'm pretty clear now it's not about the money and if you do things well the money will come um later <laughs> when it's when you earn it when you when it's relevant to come so I think for me you got to be clear on why you're deciding to take that opportunity and um don't be desperate. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's a good way to put it. That sounds very informal, but try to just be specific. Be coach a group that you need to coach that will help you advance yourself. That's what I would say to a young coach making $400 a year. Make sure it's part <laughs> of your mind. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Um, my last question, if I was a, an owner of a, say, of a Champions League team in Europe and said, right, I'm going to hire you to be our head coach and I'm going to give you an, a checkbook for you to to hire the type of staff and environment that you need. What would be the the first couple of musts that you would have? What would be the first? Say, I need this. I need this. I need this. I would say 
kind of something where we started this conversation was I would need somebody with a diverse set of experiences. Um, I'm not hard pressed that that person played themselves, that that's something that, you know, they've, they've experienced it as a player. I think people do their due diligence and they can bridge that gap of from, you know, I haven't played at the highest level, but I'm taking every coaching course and I read every book and all that good stuff. Like for me, that's invaluable. Um, someone who's just continually growing, you know, they put in the work that way. Um, I would say somebody who can, doesn't want to be a head coach just yet. I think with competing um, intentions could undermine you without them knowing. Somebody who can accept the role that they're given. But of course, my staff is not dictatorship, just like not my teams aren't very free flowing, but they know their role, like they're able to accept their role. Um, and then I think the last thing would be that's a grafter, you know, that's willing to put in the same amount of work that I, I am, if not more. Um, so I think those are the four ones I'd start with, not to get too long with the list. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Carolina, thank you so much. Um, thank you, Gary. Yes, I just said it's the, it's the countdown now to the season. So you have four games left? Three, three, three left now and then uh, a playoff series uh, happening after October 3rd. So, excuse me, August 3rd. So very exciting. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, here, wish you all the best on that there and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks, as well, so Gary. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks so much to Carmelina for her time and insight there. Hope you enjoyed that. I really, really did. I said at the start that time went way too quick and it definitely did for me. So I could have I could chat all day about that combination of insight between the coach's perspective and the player perspective on a culture like Canadian women's soccer and, and how that culture was changed and and we're almost again. I'm I'm really fascinated by the the resistance of players to certain ideas and how to overcome that, uh, because it's not easy for a coach to come in and just change everything. And and there there are challenges that you have. And I think overcoming those challenges and creating buy-in from players is such an important skill for coaches to learn about and to develop an understanding about because. We think that when we get jobs and positions that it's just a case of walking in and telling everyone what you want to do. But for the most part, every job you're going to get as a coach will involve some form of change. Even if it's continuity and you're taking on a job that the team has had success, there's a process there that does involve buy-in from players. So I think learning how to do that as a coach is going to become really, really important, especially for young coaches. We talked a lot off air just before we came on and then off it as well. We continued on the conversation of the magic of coaches, how to make a real impact. Um, and the more we talked about it, we just kind of said to each other that it's crazy. It's not about the tactics. It's not about the sessions, although both of those are important. It's about the environment that coaches creating, especially today. And it's about those connections that coaches are making with their players and the connections that coaches are facilitating between players in their teams as well. And just the importance of reflecting on all that there, you know, every day as a coach to come back, either you're writing stuff down or you're driving home or even if you're talking to someone about it, I think is really, really important because environments change, cultures change. It's not just you build them once and they're good for four or five years. They change every day and, and every challenge you have has to be addressed quickly 
uh, and you can't just refer back to a book or refer back to a previous experience the majority of challenges you face as a coach are unique uh, in the way that you haven't faced the same one before so um, I really enjoyed that there so let me know what you think uh, about Carmelina's experiences her insight like I said uh, I, I'm sure you enjoyed that from a coaching aspect because she just combined the, the player insight and the coach insight at a really high level so thanks so much to Carmelina I wish her all the best uh, for the rest of the season and we'll definitely be looking to get her back on the podcast for sure so thanks for listening let me know what you think again if you could leave a rating if you could put a post out it means a lot to hear what coaches enjoy from it what coaches have have challenges themselves and what coaches have questions about Uh, easy to find us at Gary Kernine on Twitter, at Gary Kernine on Instagram, Coach Kernine on Facebook. Always love to hear your insight. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. Talk soon. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.